It's Sunday, and we got a story for you. Welcome to Stories Unlimited with your host, Dave Casey, coming to you from rain-soaked North Shore of Chicago. I'm Taylor Mason. Today, I'm coming from you from a, a nondescript island somewhere in the Bahamas. Don't ask. I'm here. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Technology has come to the point where, actually, I can figure out how to log in and use the Wi-Fi and connect internationally. Stories Unlimited podcast is now an international operation. So how good is that? There we go. Coming to you from across the Caribbean. I'm in the middle of babysitting or dog sitting my daughter's Yorkie, who is actually the most famous Casey that's ever walked the earth. It's been on billboards in New York. It's been in uh, Business Week magazine ads. It's just a, a very famous and handsome Yorkie who was used as a small dog model for my daughter's. Uh, she worked for a pet supply company once. While I'm pet sitting for this guy, it got me to thinking about a rich area of stories, and that is babysitters. Both those that have babysat me and you and those that we have hired to babysit our children. I got to thinking, my wife doesn't trust. I mean, we barely travel these days because my wife doesn't trust anybody with our dog. In fact, the last time we took a trip, Caroline dog-sitted for us. And it got me to thinking, well, she sure didn't worry that much about hiring babysitters for our kids. (laughs) Dave, wait a minute. Before you go any further, we just canceled a family trip to Lisbon, Portugal. Why would we cancel? Haven't done a family vacation in five or six years. Big plans you know, paid for, going to Lisbon, can't go. Why not? Because Mick, the border (laughs) colleague, 12, you know, nobody understands him. No one understands him like his mother. If this was just Marcia and myself years ago, and to follow up on your point, and leaving the kids at home, stick them with the mother-in-law, we're gone. It'll work out. Bye. See you later. But the dog, (laughs) no, no, that's a priority. No, we can't trust the dog with the mother-in-law. She just doesn't understand Mick. So we've had our share. Now we did try to vet our babysitters like any responsible parents would, but you just never know. When we moved to Glen Ellen, Illinois, we had a phenomenal babysitter. We thought we had just lucked out wonderful with Caroline and Connor. And uh, she unfortunately had to go to school that fall the first fall that we lived there. And she was doing child development. She was studying it. And I'm sure she's fantastic in her field by now. Man, when she had to leave, we were like, oh God, we were so lucky to get a great babysitter. And she goes, well, my sister can babysit. And Uh we're like, oh, wow, you got a sister. That's great. Uh And how far can the apple fall from the tree? I mean, (laughs) I think we're going to be okay here. So we hire her sister and feel really good about it. So one of the first times she's over, maybe even the first time she's over, Pam is getting ready. The end of the school day, she is, it's Connor's birthday, late May. So it's her job to bring cupcakes to the class about a half hour before school lets out. They wised up in our day. We celebrated some kid's birthday at like lunchtime. The union got together and wised up and said no birthdays till the final half hour. So anyway, my wife's getting these cupcakes ready. She's iced about two thirds of them. 
And then she realizes she's running out of time. And Caroline in, in, is still downstairs. She only had a half day of school at the time. And she calls the babysitter up. Hey, can you do me a favor? Finish icing these cupcakes while I run up to the shower and, and I'll be right back down. She's like, oh, yeah, no problem. Fine. I can handle that. So my wife goes up to take a shower, uh -oh. like 30 cupcakes for the class, a couple extra, the teacher, my wife, the class is excited. I'm sure it's a birthday. They're dying to get their cupcakes, right? The babysitter's down there and lo and behold, there's no cupcakes. So my wife, <laughs> oh, maybe she's like really ahead of the game and she's packed them up or something. Where are the cupcakes? She asked. And then she noticed the babysitter's just staring with the thousand yard blazed look in her eye and just is barely able to form a thought. And she's just standing stunned in the kitchen. Apparently she had eaten all 30 cupcakes. I don't even know if she got around to icing the final six, but she put them all away iced or not. And this is like, it's not even, my, my wife can't even digest this information. I mean, it's not like we hired Joey Chestnut and we were making, I mean, who eats 30 cupcakes? But then again, you can't really berate her because my wife thinks this has got to be an eating disorder. Nobody could put away 30 cupcakes. And again, the babysitter is just sort of standing in, in a glazed look and really has no explanation for what happened to the cupcakes. I swear my wife looked around and finally just was like, nope, they're eaten, they're gone. Now we have to leave the babysitter with my daughter. I don't, you know, because my wife has to get to the school. She might eat Caroline. I'd be worried that she was gonna eat the <laughs> I, You know, maybe she saved some icing for Caroline. I don't know, who knows? But yeah, you, you start wondering at that point, right? So my wife has to go and buy cupcakes on the way to the school. Oh, God. And, but again, we don't want to say anything to her, her to her mom or anybody. It's oh, like, we've got to deal with this on our own. We don't know the politically correct way to deal with this eating disorder. So we keep her on as a babysitter. Nothing, nothing too bad happened the next couple of times. But then we get a phone. My wife gets a phone call from a nurse. And apparently she's like, I'm here with your daughter in the hospital. And my wife freaks out. She's like, what do you mean? Because she's left her with this babysitter again, right? So there's a little level of distrust, but we figure- So wait a minute. So I want to make sure I get this right. You you and Tam have gone out and you've left Caroline with the babysitter. Is that, that's the premise? Well, I'm at work, Tam's at work, and we get this, Tam gets a phone call and our, our daughter's in the hospital. And she's like, what happened? And she said, well, she was in an accident. And we're like, is she okay? And the nurse is like, oh yeah, yeah, she's fine. She's fine. She just had a little bump on the side of her head, but she's good. And we're like, okay, where's the babysitter? Oh, there's no babysitter here. She just came in on her own in the ambulance. And we're like, what are you talking about? Pam calls the babysitter's house on her way to the hospital and is freaking out. Yeah, and the babysitter's mom answers and it's like, oh, yes, you know, I, I'm just going to say Gloria. I don't know what her name was and I wouldn't say it if I did. Oh, yeah, Gloria's here. And she's like, well, has she told you she was in an accident? There's a long pause. No. 
okay, well, you need to talk to Gloria and find out what happened because my daughter's in the hospital because she got in a car accident and your daughter was driving her. There's some confusion on the other end of the line. Of course, I get a phone call from Pam. You got to get to the hospital. So two of us are rushing. I'm rushing from the city. Tam's rushing oh, from God. the babysitter. Got into a like a, a one of these things where like four cars had a pile up. Her car barely had, you know, her car just had a little dent in it. It wasn't too bad, a fender bender, and uh, it was very drivable. And that's what she did. She loaded Caroline into the ambulance because uh, Caroline complained about the side of her head. So. Of course, protocol is the child must be taken to the hospital. You're not going to mess around. So you got to observe everything you can. Well, the babysitter gives them my my uh, wife's phone number, gets in her car, drives home, doesn't tell a soul, doesn't call my wife. <laughs> Gets home, doesn't tell her mother, oh, by the way, I've been in an accident and the kid I was babysitting was rushed to the hospital. No, that's just a detail that I don't really think needs to actually be covered uh, unless somebody were to ask. It turns out the nurse on the line with my wife was great. She's like, I'm just playing with Caroline. It turns out she's fine. There's there's nothing to worry about. By this time, my wife has done plenty of worry. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh my gosh. And I'm just like, okay, this ranks up there with the time my wife called me. I, it was one of those afternoons where you're just like, oh my God, you can't even know what, you know, what babysitters are up to. It's crazy. Oh man, that Dave, that's just unbelievable. Especially the idea. Okay. You got to hand it to her. On the, the baby says, you know, the side of my head is hurting a little bit. I guess calling the ambulance is the first thought you have. How old was this girl? Let's call well, her Gloria. For there, she didn't call the ambulance. The ambulance has arrived uh, oh. you know, on the scene. Who knows oh, what she's doing in the meantime? I don't know. And my kid was too young to tell us. Who knows what she did in the in the meantime? But when the ambulances came, she unloaded the kid, gave him a phone number, and took off like, well, I got to see what's on TV here. And, you know, maybe she had a cupcake or two. I don't know. But she definitely didn't report <laughs> news to anybody <laughs> wife didn't even tell her mother but we had another winner too this one oh there, there's a trend the first time i ever saw this was with this babysitter she was attractive enough but she kind of ruined the look by she she took um lipstick and and applied it beyond where her lips were this is what number of babysitter so you had the ideal babysitter who went off to college her <laughs> sister comes you know, ambulance referring, nothing ever happened. I'll just go home. And then so lipstick woman is the third, is basically your third? Yeah, the third, because the, the, the one was fired as soon as the ambulance story came right. out. That's the end. I think that's, I think that's an appropriate end to it. Because baby after all, we're responsible parents. So we hired this other woman from a, you know, like, you know, a referral from somebody in the neighborhood. And how old, how old is this woman? I'd say she's about 22. She has lipstick and it was like, I'm colorblind but it seemed like it was like purple it was something kind of garish and it didn't help that she actually lipsticked or painted beyond where her lips were so it made her lips look even bigger than they were which yeah you know, i've seen that on older women i've seen that on my grandmothers do this sometime i don't know if they do it on purpose or whatever i've seen that but it usually somebody over the age of 60 so this is weird yeah, this was my first clue that uh, I don't know if this babysitter is going to work out. But, you know, I, I don't want to judge a book by its cover.
So we hire her and she drove my wife a little crazy. And, you know, we had her come about a number of times, at least a handful of times. But my wife kept complaining. Every time I come home, she's sitting on the porch swing, like flipping through magazines while the kids are inside playing. And it's like, I get so annoyed. I'm like, I'm hiring her to watch the kids and she's there, you know, casually doing this. And I'm like, well, I'm not surprised. I mean, she's probably looking for more beauty tips. It turns out after we let her go that because she just didn't seem to care one iota about our kids, we find out through the kids that had been sworn to secrecy that she was taking them to another house while she was babysitting for us and we weren't there. She'd take him to another house where there were two other kids. Lo and behold, a boy and a girl, just like we had a boy and a girl. So, hey, they'd get along fine, right? So she took him to that house to, and was double dipping. So, oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. So there you had that whole episode, which was, who can you trust these days? So when I was a little kid, my parents, and this kind of uh, reverberated throughout my life. So my parents would hire only family. So my first babysitter was my Aunt Artie, who was my, my father's sister, but she was very, very uh, 25 years removed from, uh, you know, he was 25 when she was born or 27, something like that. Oh. So just a long period of time. So she was almost a big, is almost a big sister. She married this wacky guy from Northern Michigan named Gene Baroni, who was a brilliant accountant and he they were our babysitter he was a very physical guy we would go to their house so my parents would go out they would drop us off at aunt Artie's, and we would play with my uncle gene who would just throw us around throw us around their living room throw us into couches throw us into chairs and we loved it you know it was, my brothers and i just loved to go he was great you know he was gruff <laughs> and uh he, he might not have liked us who knows so that was my first the next babysitter we had was a woman named Mrs. Berghoff, my parents found, who um, I can do a perfect impression of her. Oh, just call me Bergie. So <laughs> we called her Bergie, B-U-R-G-I-E, Bergie. And her thing was, this is what she would do. She would come, my parents would go out, we're going to make cornbread. And she would make pans of cornbread, which we would eat, oh. cornbread butter, cornbread it was this cornbread was the best cornbread you could possibly have it, it wasn't the it wasn't something you ate with a meal the cornbread was a meal and then there was something on the side which was also it might be just a big pad of butter or yeah. you know something else and you she would make this cornbread so my experience with babysitters from the time i was a child was really really good so this colored the way that we kind of chose babysitters for our kids. The first one we had, Dana, was a student at Cal Lutheran University. We lived right by the university out in California, and we hired Dana. I don't even know what she was studying, but she was a great babysitter until she was from Seattle, and I had a gig at the improv, and there was an improv in Seattle, and I go up and play the improv, and of course, I have her parents come to the show. And they're very nice people. They're Lutheran. Her daughter went to Cal Lutheran. They're very stayed. It's a comedy club. There was a lot of, you know, the other acts on this show were, for lack of a better word, edgy. And they just sat there. I remember watching them. They were sitting about halfway back in the packed, you know, comedy club, 
and they looked a little out of place. But I thought, what the heck? I'll go up and do my show. It's a closing act. I finished my show. They were very nice at the end. That was the last time that we saw Dana as our babysitter. And she was great. The next babysitter we had, we moved back to New Jersey from California. And I can't remember the babysitter's name. But our kids, my wife is half Brazilian. So children running around the backyard naked when they're under the age of four is not that big a deal. But in Morristown, New Jersey, very upper middle class, children running around the backyard naked on Oak Avenue was... <laughs> <laughs> so we told the baby, I don't remember who the babysitter was, are they allowed to run around naked? Oh yeah, <laughs> we do it all the time. So we leave and the kids are out, bolt out the back door and they're running around the backyard. But our neighbors right next door <laughs> Their children are standing by the, the fence. This white picket fence has separated our yards. Their mouths agape. And <laughs> the babysitter didn't, <laughs> didn't know what to do. So she just let our kids run around naked. And our kids, of course, would see these two children, maybe three or four years older than our kids, would yeah. run, they would run naked, run over, you know, hi, we're your new neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> new jerk. So, so the babysitter was... A, that was the last time, by the way, we saw that babysitter. Then we had my mother-in-law. One of the reasons we moved to New Jersey from California was to live. We lived about three miles from my mother-in-law. And she was living in a condo. And what she did, so all we had to do when we wanted to go out is drop her off at her condo. And she had built a couple of rooms just for our children. One room was the video room with their own chairs and a tray right in front of them so they could eat and watch video. And then there was a room upstairs that she had just cleared out and it was all Legos and you know stuff to play with. So the kids, when, my, when our kids were little, they had the ideal babysitter. It was basically their own house. They didn't just have a babysitter, they had their own baby house, all set up for them. My, my mother-in-law was just so thrilled to have grandchildren. They ran that everything. They ran, they ran everything until they got a little bit older. And I would come home after being on the road. And my wife had been with the kids for, let's say, six or seven days. Yeah. So she is ready to, so I would come home and my wife, Marcy, would leave. I'm out of here. You, you deal with them. So we would go down in the basement. I, was, I would be a babysitter. This, I would come home and I knew this was going to happen, whatever time it was, time of year. I would come home knowing that for the next five or six hours, I would be with the kids and, you know, I've been gone. So I've been looking forward to it. They were looking forward to seeing me. So we invented this game, Dave, in the basement on Oak Avenue in Morristown, New Jersey, lights off in the basement with a Nerf ball. And the idea was, I am going to throw the Nerf ball and hit you in the dark. When I hit you, you have to go sit on the steps and then I have to find the other kid and hit him. The problem with this game was it was fun for a long time, but then someone would get hurt because it was dark and you know you couldn't see anything. So you would run into each, the kids would run into each other and there were a couple of posts there and they would run into those or they would run into a chair. So my wife would be gone and she would come home and there would be lots of sobbing, you know, people crying. <laughs> You know, she would be gone for three hours. She would come home and, the, and they're come home and we're in the kitchen. 
two kids sobbing. You know, what kind of, you know, and this is the quote is, what kind of babysitter are you? <laughs> well, apparently not a very good one. So she would give them something to eat and then, okay, I'm going to cook dinner, get out of here. So we'd go back down into the basement to play this game. And the reason I bring all this up is there was this song years ago. I used to do this in my act about coming home and I had rewritten the song. It was by the group Kiss. It was the only song I've ever heard by Kiss without a guitar. It was a piano song. It was a ballad called Beth. But I had changed the lyrics because I would go down in the basement. Marcy would be upstairs. I haven't been home for weeks. I'm down yeah. in the basement playing this game in the dark. And, you know, the, the lyrics were something like, Marcia, you know, she would say, okay, time for dinner. And I would sing this, Marcy, I hear you calling, but I can't come up right now. Me and the kids are playing and we just can't find the sound. Then boom. <laughs> I had rewritten the song. And here's the killer thing about that is years later, when the kids were much, much older, like in their 20s, I saw a TV commercial. And it was about a dad in the basement, and they used the song, the real song, Beth, not rewritten oh, the way I had. Oh they, my yes. They, I can't remember the, the, the client, doesn't matter. Obviously, not that great a commercial. But they, they used the same thing, Beth. I hear you calling, but I can't come up right now. Me and the boys are playing, but we just can't find the sound. And I, I rewritten that song about babysitting for my two kids. I'm sure that, you know, I know they remember. It. And the name of the game, that we played in the basement to bring everything full circle was called Bomber in the Bando. Why would <laughs> you name it Bomber in the Bando? Because way back when I was a little kid going to Uncle Gene and Aunt Artie's house, Uncle Gene's cousin, his cousins from Northern Michigan had come down one time and they had turned all the lights off in the living room where Uncle Gene used to throw us into the chairs. And we played this game with his cousins throwing a ball or a, not a Nerf ball, like a baseball. I don't know how many oh. things we broke. I just remember <laughs> having so much fun in the dark at Ann Artie's house. And I, I, when I was leaving, my parents had come to pick me up. I was probably 10 years old. What's the name of this game? I want to play this game when I get home. And one of my uncle's cousins said, it's called Bomber in the Bando. So I had reinvented that all these Whoa. years later for when I was a, a babysitter for my kids. Those are my two best babysitter stories. Oh, well, three if you include Dana. Bomber and the band, though, that is, oh, that is awesome. What kid wouldn't love that? That reminds yeah, me. I was just made, made up by kids. And I think my cousin, Tim Baroni, said the name drop. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with the Baronis. They had a, they ran a pizza place up and way up in Northern Michigan. You know, I mean, Calumet, Michigan, oh, yeah. way Northern Michigan. So you don't have babysitters there, I don't think. You just, mom and dad go out and whatever happens, that's what happens. But to bring to bring everything full circle, it is weird that now we can't go on vacation because we have yeah. a dog and we can't have a sitter for the dog. We've had people, but one of the people, a good friend of my wife's is scared of the dog, even though she's a dog person and he oh. hasn't bitten her, but she's scared that he will. He's a border collie, so we can't do anything until and the dog is 12 and i'm guessing he's going to live another 12 years the way he's treated yeah. i mean we finally solved the babysitting dilemma when our son got old enough to babysit our daughter oh good this will work like i i should have learned from my own experience my brother was the most terrorizing babysitter i ever had i mean he he used to get these 
he used to take a pin, a straight pin, and roll paper around it really, really tight into a tight little comb. And then he would tape the end of it, and he would put it in a pea shooter, and and he was deadly accurate with that thing. I mean, he used to have, he had a poster of W.C. Fields in his bedroom, and just to intimidate me, I think, that poster was riddled with pinholes from where oh he God. just, and they were all right in the eyes and the mouth, and I mean, he was a dead eye with this thing. Dave, if, and, if, if somebody did that today, if you walked into a kid's bedroom today, and you saw pins stuck into the, you know, the eyes of a poster, that's in in 2023. That's a reason to call the authorities. But in <laughs> those days, but, ah, you know, nah, ah, that's my brother. <laughs> it's having fun. Well, then he would turn the thing on me. Ah. He, oh, right down the hall. I lived down the hall from him, and he would just shoot him down the hall. He didn't care. He left marks in the hall, in the wall. My parents never came up that far anyway. So it was just they lived on the mid floor. We lived on the top floor. And he, he would just pin me in my bedroom, and I couldn't leave my bedroom. And he would be on, Dave, Dave, come out. It was like, you know, the Warriors, come out and play. It was like before the Warriors, he invented that whole trick of come out and play. And as soon as I opened my door just a little bit, I'm just sitting there going, you can't do this. You can't do this mom and dad and then here's what he would do one time he was cooking me dinner and I, of course i'm a little brother and i'm driving him crazy and i'm making fun of him for this reason or that reason and he's got um obviously this was before the pin you know he mastered the pin drop on me so he's cooking chicken pot pies and he walks around he gives himself a chicken pot pie and there's still a chicken pot pie on the on the uh, grease pan or whatever you call those pans a cookie sheet and he walks over casually and he he leans the thing and the and the pie goes sliding onto my plate and at the last second he tips it just a little more of an angle uh-huh. chicken pot pie flops into my lap and I'm like, what what are you doing? And then he stands over me. Of course, he's five years older. He's six three. Right. I, I, you know, I got to be like five eleven and a half. He stands over me and he goes, "Now eat it." <laughs> I'm like, I can't. It's burning my lap. It's burning my crotch. I can't eat this. And he's like, "Eat it." So. <laughs> So I take my hands, I'm trying to just get the thing, I'm eating it as fast as I can and burning my tongue. And I'm just like, I am so angry at my brother. I, I mean, I'm seething inside. And that's when I got the, the, the brainstorm. It's time to grab the biggest freaking knife in this kitchen and show him who's born. So as soon as I'm eating, I get up, my pants are sopped with, with, chicken pot pie residue i get up and i grab the biggest knife from the block and i i wield it like this and my brother freaks out and i run him around the kitchen table a couple of times (laughs) the opposite side and i'm holding that thing up ready to just slice him to pieces of course i know in my mind i'm not going to touch him with the knife but he doesn't know that and he's scared 
this and he's older than me and I got him where I want him. So then at one point he figures that he breaks for the front door and he bolts out the front door and I follow a knife in my hand laughing maniacally. And I, I'm like, is great. I'm like, this is going to be so cool. So he runs across the street to the Haynes's house and I'm oh. following. And I follow him onto the Haynes's yard and I'm just going, yeah, and I'm wielding that knife like a crazy, you know, I'm just like, I'm going to get you. And my brother gets it. He starts hitting the doorbell of the Haynes's. And I'm thinking, perfect. This is perfect. She's the biggest, you know, she's going to tell all the neighbors and they're going to think I'm an insane person. And I love it. I thought that was cool that I was just going to be known as the guy who ran his brother off out of the house with him oh yeah street so, cred for you man that is oh, street cred right like, old you think that's pretty cool so anyway that whole incident ended mrs haynes told me to get back in the house and <laughs> calm down which I, I was like okay okay i'd had my fun i'd gotten back at my brother about 10 years after this my dad is cleaning out my brother's room he'd gone off the and I was going to move into his room because it was bigger. And he's moving some furniture. And all of a sudden, these papers fall down and from back of the bureau. And he goes, what is this? And he picks it up. And it's in my handwriting, signed contracts that said, I will. What did they, they said? Something like, I will pay Phil 50 cents if I tell mom and dad I was bad. To, or he was bad to me. So he had made me sign, and to a kid, 50 cents is the world. That was like my whole allowance for the week. I wasn't going to blow that on, you know, just ratting my brother out. So here he was having me sign contracts. Unbelievable. What a babysitter. But what do I do? I give my daughter, Honor can babysit you. Do I learn anything in life? No. I let the big brother babysit my precious daughter. So what does big brother do? He leaves the house. He tells her that, you know, he's going off to play with his friends. And so that's bad enough. But I knew what that was like being abandoned by my brother, you know, so he could play with his <laughs> But he, Connor does something my brother never did. He calls Caroline. He knows Caroline's the only one home. Caroline picks up the phone. She hears breathing on the other end. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to kidnap you and they hang <laughs> and of course they do it in a voice that she can't recognize and so what's a little girl do freak out well she called me at work and i'm like okay i can't leave work right now mom's gonna be home any minute so you just what you should do is go up into the attic and hide in the attic they're not going to find you if you go hide in the attic and be very, very quiet. And I'm thinking, I'm a problem solver. I'm like, I'm, I'm all over this. Uh, and I said, don't forget, mom will be home. It's not, you know, it's probably just a prank. Relax, but make sure you, you're safe in the attic. So, of course, she can't stay in the attic. It's too scary. And she comes no, of course, back. It's like a it's like a, a horror movie. If the last, yeah. You know, the killer is going to find you in the attic. You got to move. I, I'm with Caroline. So, yeah, I, I am not I'm not I'm not a, a shining example of fatherhood here, but um, I figured that's what I would have done as a kid. 
So she goes down and she's peeking out the window and, she, and of course, more phone calls keep coming. We're gonna get you. And she's just dying a thousand deaths. And, you know, meanwhile, her father's like, just go in the attic. Everything's fine. Don't worry about it. And uh, so I guess she couldn't reach her mom. So then she's looking out there and it's this rainy, dark day as it was. So it's even twice as scary. And up in the driveway comes this big black Hummer freaking out if there was ever a bad guy car it's a big black hummer this is Definitely. like they are coming they're at the front door she's freaking out what am i gonna do and oh my god then out from the hummer steps her mother my wife she was with a work colleague in a car that caroline couldn't recognize or didn't recognize and oh, oh my god that was the end of that nightmare but yeah my son mm, not you know he, he he learned a few lessons from my brother there i when i, I was the oldest of, of the three of us i i remember one of the coolest things was i had learned how to drive a tractor way before i got a driver's license so i'm probably 14 parents go out i'm babysitting my brother Locke, 13 and my youngest brother tony so my brother Locke says um do you know how to drive? My parents have taken the Oldsmobile Tornado out to eat, but sitting in the oh. driveway is my mom's green Mercury. Oh. So, do you know how to? You've been driving a tractor. It's a lot easier to drive a car. This is Black says this. It's a lot easier to drive a car than a tractor. For one thing, I don't know if you noticed, Black <laughs> doesn't even drive it. A car, it's you know an automatic shift. Why don't we go out? So he gives me the keys. I take the keys, get in the car. You know, how far ahead of the game was my brother? Get in the Mercury, and we drive from Clarendon Hills, Illinois, where we were living, over to Downers Grove, to the A&W root beer stand. I'm 14. You know, my brother's 13, and my youngest is 10. So, you know, the three of us pull in, have a root beer and a burger. Who knows where we got the money? Drive home, park the car, nothing hurts. So now, whenever my parents leave, you know, I, we don't even, the tornado pulls out. I grab the keys, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Mercury uh, ride. we jump into the car. Where do you want to go? And our thing was that we would end up at the A&W. I probably did this 10 times, ending up at the A&W root beer over in Downs Grove the last time. So now, you know, it's, it's de rigueur. It's, you already know, you know, um, boys, we're going out for dinners. Your mother and I are going out for dinner. Um, Taylor, you're the man of the house. We'll be back at nine o'clock. No problem. Bye. Off they go. Into the, you know, got the keys. Let's go, fellas. Into the car. And on this time, we we would go over. Usually, we'd go over to 55th Street and drive over to uh, Downers Grove. But I always took a different route because by by now, might as well explore the western suburbs of Chicago. So we would drive, you know, through. Um, Darien, Illinois, Lombard, Illinois, all these, you know, LaGrange, Illinois, and then it always end up coming back. So I figured, what the heck, we, we've never drove, driven through our hometown. It obviously, I hadn't even thought about this. 14, driving the, the Mercury, right into Clarendon Hills, where everybody knows. I mean, there's a mom and pop uh, grocery store, Reynolds, the Lamberts run the, the drugstore. Everybody knows you know, so I'm <laughs> one hand up the steering wheel window open, you know, WLS blaring as loud as it can drive right through town. The first person we see 
Reverend Burton from the Presbyterian Church, you know, <laughs> whose eyes just about pop out of his head when he sees, you know, me driving. You know, I come down this hill on Prospect Avenue into Clarendon Hills. There's Reverend oh. Burton and his family. You know, hit the eyes pop out of his head. My brother Locke, hello, Reverend Burton. <laughs> drive, drive right by. Now it's Sunday morning. Come on, boys, we're going to church. So this is. It's probably, it's like 1969, 1970. This is the version of churches. Reverend Burton is very cool. He's got like, it's a Presbyterian church. Reverend Burton has fairly long hair for, for a minister. Great guy. Go to church. And he's, of course, welcoming people. And I'm in line and I see Reverend Burton. Reverend Burton standing there welcoming people, you know, in line. And he hasn't noticed me yet. Sees so hello, my father. Hello, Reverend. Hello, Bill. You know, it's HJK. You know, my mom. Hello. You know, hello, Patricia, then me. Hello, Taylor. Um, <laughs> and, and this is what he says. I'll never forget this. I'll bet you're driving your parents crazy. He says, <laughs> <laughs> how cool, how cool is Robert Burton? So, yeah, you know, and there's a moment there where I don't get the joke because I'm, I'm like 14. I don't get it. Driving my parents crazy. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's right. I sure am, Reverend Burton. You know, I want to hug him. But we go, so we go to the church. So that was that was the the only like crazy thing that I ever did as a babysitter with my oh. brothers. But and we probably went out ten or fifteen times. But I had driven a tractor. When you oh. drive a John Deere, you're driving a Mercury, nineteen sixty nine Mercury. Oh. It, was, it was a piece of cake. I'd get on the I I, I would get on I eighty three this major road in the western suburbs of Chicago. I'd be weaving in and out, you know, <laughs> radio blaring. <laughs> but I, I've always, I'm, I had to look like a baby. I had to look, yeah. you know, like a chubby little, you know, isn't he off the young? Nobody said anything. It's 1969. Nobody says anything. We drive into A&W, get our food, drive home. Everything was cool. My parents never knew. My parents never, to this day, the only way they would know anything is they're watching from above, you know. Wow. Oh, oh, I never knew you did that. Well, hey, that's sorry, all credit to your brothers for never ratting you out, along with the uh, reverend. Yeah, exactly. But the key was that they knew if they ratted me out, that would end our, because my parents were anti-fasting. I mean, my mom, I didn't, we didn't go to McDonald's unless, you know, we went with friends or Aunt Artie would take us to Kentucky Fried Chicken sometimes. My mom yeah. never. But wow. if I'm driving, where do you so, guys want to go? And you didn't make them sign a contract, did you? No, I, I did not. I was not as diabolical as your insane older brother, no. Phil, who, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, but just so everybody knows, if you're wondering, what did Phil, the dart shooting psychopath older brother, what's he doing now? He's a minister. Oh, it, yeah. It, it, everything comes full circle. Oh, yeah. Bread, bread and wine and uh, no chicken pot pie for the, for the congregation. <laughs> I did have, you sound like a very cool babysitter, and I did have one of the most coolest babysitters. We moved into this new community in 1960, new decade, new community, everything's fresh. My parents, very social. They went out almost twice, a, you know, Saturday, Friday. They were always out doing stuff with friends, themselves, whatever. They were always out. So they needed a babysitter when they moved in this new community. So they asked some neighbors and, oh, the Huber boy's very nice. You should, uh, you know, get the Huber boy. So they bring in the Huber boy. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Frickin' Hallelujah. The greatest time of my life was when the Huber boy came to babysit. Because when he came to babysit, he packed me in his car and headed for the nearest teen party. This guy was a top. I mean, he was always on the prowl for a good party. And I was his little buddy. I was his little mascot. He would bring to the party. The girls oh, would fawn, the girls would fawn over me as the music <laughs> playing. The kids would be drinking and dancing. And I'm just looking around going, this is the life. I, you know, and, and literally I was the hero of the party because you know when you're a little kid, somebody brings a little baby to the party, everybody thinks, oh, this is cool. What a great babysitter this guy is. And so he would do that time and again and again and again. But the gig ran out when one time there was a big splash party at the local swim club. So he takes me to the splash party. And I can remember that one. That was one of the most fun times because everybody's running around in swimsuits and having a blast and music is people are dancing and the girls fawning over me. It wouldn't happen again ever, ever in the rest of my life. But that was the moment. And all just so much fun. Unfortunately, the manager of the pool knew my parents, knew my mom, ah. as my mom was at the pool every damn day of the summer. He called and says, ah. he, he blew the whole thing out. And so never again did the Huber boy come. I remember my parents took me to the movie La Dolce Vita, probably because they couldn't get a babysitter, which is a very scandalous movie at the time about all this oh, evil yeah. lifestyle. Still. And while it was going on, my parents kept looking at me. You know, I, I don't remember, but I know my mom kept looking over at me to see like, uh -oh, what is he, you know, what's he taking in here with all these, you know, all this partying and all this hedonistic lifestyle. And I can remember thinking, when they showed there was this one big scene where there was a teen party and I remember thinking, yeah, I've been there. Yeah. That's like, that's like it is when I get with the Hubers and I just, that's <laughs> much fun I was having. And, and this was like, my parents were all worried about me learning something from this movie. I'm like, I see this every weekend, man. <laughs> it was just, that was just the best babysitter I ever had. That's great that you remember that. That's great that you remember you, know, you remember the Huber boy. I remember um, I'm right now. I'm, I, we're doing this podcast. I'm in the Bahamas. I'm on a Disney cruise ship. I'm with Disney. My aunt Artie, when I was probably I don't know. My, my aunt Artie would babysit a lot for me, as I said. And I remember before she had married my uncle Gene, she would take me to the movies that my parents would never take me to, and she took me to see Merlin the Magician. Um, or no, it was uh, Young King Arthur, I think it was. And oh. Merlin the Magician is in that movie. And I just remember going with Anne Artie, a movie that my parents never would have taken me to. And now, all these years later, I work for Disney. And that, had, oh. that movie had such an impression on me. And I, I was talking to her about this. My Anne Artie's in her 80s now. And I was just talking to her about this like within the last year, about how I work for Disney. And I still remember her babysitting, picking me up at 232 South Prospect, Clarendon Hills, Illinois, and driving over to the movie theater in Hillside, Illinois, it's no longer there, and seeing this movie, she took me to. It's interesting how the stuff that we remember, you know, about our babysitters and the cool stuff that, that they did that we remember or the cool stuff that we that we did as babysitters, they're very cool. Yeah, I I was never, uh, I, I think I, I only babysat like when a girlfriend of mine would babysit and I'd go over with her, because right. I, I 
I just was, uh, I don't think I would have made a good babysitter because I would have, like, I didn't have any uh, role models that were. Yeah, no, you would not have made a good, I I can tell you this honestly, based on our relationship, no, you would not have been a good baby. Have a little brother or sister, they would have just been, I, uh, I would have. I would have just taken everything my brother did and multiplied it by 10. <laughs> it, it was, uh, yeah, that wouldn't have been a good, good fit. I tell you what we later, after we had all these bad experiences with these sort of not well, teenage plus young twenties babysitter, we, we had this woman come by and she wasn't even a babysitter. She was, she had, like manage the estate for Ed Snyder when she lived in Philadelphia. She was like there. She did. She was in charge of making sure that the mansion that Snyder lived was run with military precision. She was just, <laughs> he looked over the whole thing. And then the good thing was, cause Ed Snyder in Philadelphia was a big deal. He owned the flyers. Oh, still, you say that name, you say that name now, there's a lot of respect for Ed Snyder. Oh, Oh yeah, yeah, because you you live in his sphere of influence there in South Jersey. So yeah. yeah, Ed Snyder's a big deal in Philadelphia when he was alive. And he had Comcast, he owned stadiums coast to coast. Well, Shirley was the name of this woman, and she was amazing. She had so much fun working with the Snyders because she'd go to all the Flyers games. She they would they would she was in such, you know, esteem in the family because she helped them run the family that she would fly coast to coast to LA with them when they would go visit their stadiums and whatnot in LA. And, you know, she would, you know, take care of all the kids and make sure that everything was run properly when they got to their LA place. And then I don't know what happened, but she must have moved away and then moved to Chicago. I think possibly she might have been because I know her daughter lived in Chicago. So maybe that was the impetus why she moved to the Midwest. But she had such good um, references with the Snyders that she was then hired by the Marshall Fields family, which is one of the first one of the first families of Chicago. I mean, this family. They own the, I mean, the Field Museum, you know, the one of the nicest museums in the country is named after them. They they had Marshall Fields, which was a huge department store in Chicago. Well, she was, oh, yeah. she was in charge. And I think at this point, I, I, I could be wrong, but I think she was in charge of the third floor. I mean, that's how crazy they lived. That's how crazy their lifestyle was, that there was someone who's, whose main job was the third floor. And how she ended up on our doorstep, I don't know. I think she must have retired. And then a friend of a friend through a friend suggested, you know, we were looking for somebody to, uh, you know, keep our household running while I was working. Because I was traveling a lot. I was going to China and doing all kinds of stuff for Budweiser and trying to open up the world for uh, malted beverages. And my wife was uh, working and just needed some needed some help but she was working hard at real estate so we need somebody to keep our house organized and we thankfully we brought in this Shirley and she would tell these tales about her other jobs that she had had and we're like my god what would she think of our tiny little house you know I was like embarrassed you know in terms of god we've got cracks in the sidewalk I don't know what she thinks of us but she was terrific I mean she would she would uh 
iron my boxers. She would fold them with military precision. She would put them in a drawer in like, you know, the checkered ones were here and the solid ones were here. Oh, and I, the entire house was run with that kind of precision. We never lived so well. You'd come home, there'd be food on the table. and But one, she never, ever used garlic because she would tell you, Oh, I don't like garlic. Oh, no. Oh, no. I don't. No, no. There's never any garlic in my food. I don't touch the stuff. I, me and garlic, oh, we don't get along. She would tell you for 10 minutes how much she did not like garlic. But not only that, every other meal, she would go into this rant about how she didn't like garlic. It was just one of her little quirks. But, you know, you could easily overlook that when you look around and there wasn't a speck of dust in the house. The, the kids were, you know, I don't know where, the, the kids for the first times in their lives were like, wow, wow, we actually, you know, everything's nice and clean around here. <laughs> they, she was terrific. And, uh, oh my God, but the one thing, I'll never forget this, it's, as the kids, she, she called me the mister. I mean, we were spoiled rotten. And she'd walk around like it'd be our anniversary. And she would, she, she'd be like kicking her feet up in the air like a rocket. And she could kick. I mean, she was like probably seven in her mid seventies. And we'd always be like, Shirley, calm down. You can't work this hard. You're work, cause we just hired her to be like a help. We didn't hire her to take over our entire house. And, and that's what she does. That was her job. Her job was management. She was brought up in an orphanage in Nova Scotia. And so oh, she God. worked, she worked like, you know, and, and from her tales, it really was one of these awful orphanages where the kids were treated like slaves and, and chattel. And so she had a work ethic that never, that just couldn't, I think her dad was killed in a logging accident. Oh my but, God. Yeah. I mean, she was, you know, rough frontier kind of existence and when she came to the states she was ready to work and she discipline she must have learned in the orphanage and anyway she had our house spanking clean but it, you know if there was ever a birthday or an anniversary in the house she'd be kicking her legs up like a rocket and celebrating and she had so much joy so much energy it was just a, an amazing time in our lives and we were so blessed to have her and, and we were starting to feel bad. You know, we were like, Shirley, don't come. You know, she didn't live in our house, but we were like, uh, you know, we would drive her back and forth to her place. And we were like, Shirley, really, really don't come um, this week. You need to just, you know, relax, take it easy. Cause she was starting to get, you know, a, a little too old to be working that hard, but she would not stop. And finally, at one point we, we went on a, uh, Remember I was talking about uh, that camp in the Ozarks we'd send our kids to? Oh, yeah. I, okay. Yeah. This, at, by this time, Connor had been expelled from camp, but Caroline was still going to the camp. And so she surely stayed and was babysitting Connor. Of course, she was doing 100 other things around the house at the same time, but she was only supposed to be watching Connor. And, uh, and so she took that very seriously and she doted on our kids, like, you know, the old Southern word, Southern word doting. That's what she was about our kids. She loved them to death. And so we're out down in the Ozarks and uh, we go to pick up Caroline from camp and we go out to this nice steak dinner. 
and I'm waiting, I'm waiting for the, the dinner to come. We haven't eaten. If you're in the Ozarks, you're not going to be eating all that well. I mean, you're eating a lot of fried food, and, you know, kind of junk food. But here we were at a nice steak dinner and the ham cell phone rings just as they serve the steak. And it's uh-huh. like, you know, it's like crispy and it's, you know, it's, it's making those popping sounds on the plate. I can't wait to dig in. And Tam goes, you better take this. So I get on the phone and it's surely freaking out. She's like, I, I went down in the basement and I think Connor was having a party down in the basement. And when I got, and when I got down there and then she dropped out, it's oh. like perception dropped. And I'm like, what, what? And, and Tam could hear all this and I'm with my in-laws and we're, you know, it's this big, nice thing. And I have to leave the table. I have to leave that nice, rare steak on the plate, get in the car, and drive to somewhere in the Ozarks where I can get reception to hear. Wow, oh, yeah. So I'm like, oh, my God. And driving down these roads, trying to get to a high point and, you know, putting the cell phone out of the car. Hello, hello, dialing, dialing, nothing. Finally, I mean, it's probably 20 minutes later. I get on the line, Shirley, Shirley, can you hear me? Oh, yes, yes, mister. Oh, oh, you wouldn't believe, it was horrible. I'm like, what are you talking, what what happened? Connor was having friends over, I guess, in the basement. We had a basement access that he probably snuck kids down in there. He was not supposed to do that, obviously, especially with Shirley there, because this woman just can't handle that kind of, you know, she shouldn't have to. She goes, I, I heard some noise and I went down in the basement. And all these kids were there and then they ran out. And, and, and but th- th- there, there was still a, uh, there was still a couple there. And th- they were on the washing machine and oh, well, they were in their underwear. It was horrible. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> but was it Connor? And she's like, no, no, no. It was a boy I didn't recognize and a girl I didn't know. And I'm like, so Connor wasn't there. And she goes, no, he ran out with the rest of them. I'm oh, like, gosh. oh my God, what were they doing there? God, and I'm like, oh, Connor, 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 you're killing me here. So, so I get back to my cold steak and I, you know, I tell Tam it's, it's okay. Connor's fine. He ran out of the house. We don't know where he is, but it was with all his buddies. And uh, one of the boys and a girl were on the washing machine doing something they probably shouldn't have been doing. And Shirley saw it. And now she's freaking out. So <laughs> Shirley didn't come around much anymore. <laughs> but uh, we were still on good terms. We'd see her from time to time on Christmas Eve service at the church downtown that we'd go to and uh she was just the sweetest nicest woman you could ever want to meet yeah she's the ideal literally she she was the ideal babysitter oh she did all the work did all the cleaning but you know, even made food hired to like take care of the house and she became the dog sitter the babysitter the laundress the 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 i mean she cleaned the bait ba- we'd get home and she'd be cleaning baseboards we're like surely get up <laughs> You don't have to do this. You you literally had to chain her to keep them keep her from working like a dust devil. She was just unbelievable. She, she was, was a member the, of the white, family. She was a member white, of the family. Yeah, she was the white tornado. She was the most unbelievable. Oh, in fact, where she really became tight is because uh, just shortly after we hired her, 
my father-in-law had a brain tumor and he had to go to the, uh, oh, what's that place in Minnesota, the Rochester, Minnesota. It's a Mayo clinic. Clinic. Mayo clinic. Thank you. And so my wife and my mother-in-law went there for a month or more. I mean, it could have been three months. It was a long, long time. So it was just Shirley and I and the kids. And, and of course I had a job, so I was gone most of the time. And that's when Shirley really cemented her, you know, oh in my God. was in heaven. This is, this is exactly what she, you know, yeah. in Casey Litney, it would have been, you know, the kids just above the kids would have been Shirley. And then the dog just above that. Perfect. Got it. <laughs> and she put up with a lot. We had three cats, two dogs, two children. But, and, and she kept that house sparkling clean with all that mayhem going on and kept me fed. She was, uh, she was something else. Oh, that's cool though. What, what a great story. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't we end on a good note? And that would be Shirley. We love you. Amen. That's all the time we have, but the internet lasts forever and our stories never end. Thanks for stopping by the Stories Unlimited podcast. That's Stories UNLTD. We appreciate you following us on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. And you can always email us at storiesunltd at gmail.com.